We've been in a series with a couple of guest speakers mixed in. We've been in a series on the fear of the Lord, and we're going to be finishing up today with part three, uh, treasured fear, the fear of the Lord. So uh, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 29. would encourage you because I didn't put the entire chapter in your notes, and we are going to be going through the entire chapter. So I uh, want to maybe open your Bibles up to Isaiah 29, be ready to follow along. Um, I'll be reading from it. We'll look at some of the verses, but it's just a lot to print out. Uh, and just for fun, I'm going to tell you today uh, the entire problem with America and how to solve it, okay? <laughs> so it really is fairly simple uh, to understand. But uh, now, obviously, Isaiah 29 is written about the nation of Israel and specifically to the nation of Israel. And so uh, I'm not appropriating that in that sense, uh, but there are principles there that apply to any nation who desires to follow God or who leaves God. And so we're going to be looking at those principles and they will, I think, shed light on this. And so what I want you to do as we're going through Isaiah 29, I want you to ask yourselves as I, as I pick out these principles, how many of these do you see going on in America today, and does this apply to us? And I think you're going to be surprised uh, at how many we see, okay? So, uh, finishing up, fear of the Lord, I want to just start with a quick review. Um, we talked about, at, uh, in part one, we talked about the delightful fear of the Lord, how Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord. And we said that that was basically uh, desiring the highest fear was desiring only God's ways, not just fear of consequences or negative consequences, but fear of missing out on God's blessing. I don't want to do anything other than the way God does it because I want the fullness of life that he promises. And we saw that Jesus in Isaiah eleven three delighted in the fear of the Lord. And then in John 5, that that was expressed in only doing what he saw the father doing. So the highest expression, the delightful fear of the Lord, is essentially only doing what we see the Father doing. We are afraid to do it any other way than His way. You guys remember that. And then last week, or no, two weeks ago, we talked about the foundational fear of the Lord. We looked at Isaiah 11, where it lists the seven spirits of God. And we saw that the spirit of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all the other activity of the spirit. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. That all the other spirits listed uh, built on the fear of the Lord. That it was foundational. Uh, and we, we saw that clip uh, by Chris Reed where he talked about um, the return of the supernatural to the church depended upon the return of the fear of the Lord to the church. You guys remember all that. But we, and we saw this other thing that I, I didn't talk a whole lot about two weeks ago, but I want to I highlight it because we're going to see it today. Um, we saw in Isaiah 3 and 4, where it, where it lists in 1 and 2, the seven spirits of God, and then it highlights the fear of the Lord, that Jesus would delight in the fear of the Lord out of all those seven. And then he begins to talk about righteousness and justice, how that would bring righteousness and justice. And we concluded that the delight in the fear of the Lord is the foundation of righteousness and justice, which uh, we looked at Psalm 89, uh, the foundation of God's throne 
is righteousness and justice. And so righteousness and justice are built upon the fear of the Lord. You guys remember all that. So keep that in mind as we look at Isaiah 29. And what we're going to do, we're going to start right in the middle of Isaiah 29 with verse 13, which identifies the problem. Israel at this point has a problem. In fact, uh, the northern kingdom is getting ready to go into captivity, and it would just be maybe 80 or 90 years later, the southern kingdom, Judah, would go into captivity, and Jeremiah would be the prophet on duty during that time. But specifically in Isaiah 29, uh, Isaiah isn't prophesying about the north uh, Israel. He's prophesying about Jerusalem. He's prophesying about the city. All right? And so he identifies the problem in verse, 29, or in verse 13. It says, Therefore says the Lord, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they have, but they have removed their hearts far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. So the problem, let's make sure we understand the problem. The problem is that their hearts aren't in it. That they're just saying religious things. They're just saying the right stuff. They're just going through the motions. They're, they're, uh, if you quiz them, they'll give you the right answers. Right? They'll pass the catechism. They know all the stuff but their hearts aren't in it. There is no intimacy with God. And so their fear of God is just the commandments of men. Remember when we talked about the three levels of the fear of the Lord, and the second one we said was just the fear of negative consequences. In other words, I'm just doing what I can to uh, keep God's commandments and not get in trouble with God. I just don't want to be punished. Otherwise, uh, I'm just kind of doing my thing. And so the fear of God is just, I'm just trying to obey the rules. There's no intimacy involved. You understand what's going on. And this is so significant that Jesus quotes this verse to the Pharisees in Matthew and in Mark. Uh, and he basically says, Isaiah was talking about you guys. Uh, you got to wonder how that's probably really cool. You're standing around uh, asking Jesus what you think is an innocent question. And the next thing you know, he's saying, you're the guys that Isaiah was talking about. Uh, that'll get your attention at church, right? And he quotes this verse. And he, he, he says, uh, you're the guys that Isaiah was talking about when he said, uh, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and the, their fear of me is taught by the commandments of men. Now, the question the Pharisees had asked Jesus is, hey, how come your disciples don't wash their hands the way we've told everybody to wash their hands before they eat? the correct religious procedure for eating. How come your Pharisees aren't keeping our traditions? Or I'm sorry, your disciples aren't keeping our traditions. How come they're not doing church right? And Jesus says uh, this verse to them. And then he goes on, and the issue, remember, was hand washing. He goes on a little more in Mark than in Matthew. He hits it one verse in Matthew. In Mark, he expounds on it. Uh, and he goes on to explain to them, it's not what enters the stomach that defiles you. What you put in your mouth goes through your stomach and is eliminated. That's not what defiles you. All right? So pizza's okay. But, <laughs> but what comes out of the heart, that's what defiles you. What's spoken. And he, said, and he talks about lusts and desires and evil words. 
in covetousness and things like that. He goes, that's what defiles. He goes, I'm talking about the heart. You guys are working on outward stuff. I'm working from the inside out. I'm working on the heart. And so he's defining the fear of the Lord here as an intimacy issue with him, as a heart issue with him. Right? Does that make sense? And so they're just doing the religious motions. I'm doing all the right things. I'm I'm saying the right words. I'm going to prayer at the right time. I'm tithing. I'm washing my hands right before I eat. And Jesus says something interesting. He adds something in both these passages in Matthew and Mark that isn't in Isaiah 29. He adds this one phrase. He says, in vain they worship me. Their worship is useless. Why? Because they're just going through the motions and their heart isn't in it. It's not accomplishing anything. It's vanity. It's useless. It's useless worship because they're not uh, being intimate with me. They're not connecting with my heart. It's not doing anything for their heart. They're just outwardly trying to avoid bad consequences. You follow me? Anybody? Again, we want to apply these things to our lives and to the nation in which we live. Anybody see any parallels? It's really easy to let our fear of the Lord become just following commandments and not intimacy with God. And what I think is interesting about where he says, in vain they worship me, is because they're not really getting a connection with him. Or in other words, uh, the way I would put it, they're worshiping him from a distance. You know, you can worship God from a distance. I'm doing all the things right. I'm not, you know, I don't smoke or chew or go with them that do or whatever. You know, I'm not, I'm not overtly sinning. I'm doing things right. I'm going to church on Sunday. I'm, uh, you know, I read my Bible occasionally. Uh, I'm doing it all. And God goes, well, it's vain because you're building no intimacy with me. You're not connecting with me. You are, uh, as I put in the notes here, worshiping me from a distance. And here's what I mean by that. We can, uh, I'll put it this way. The word holy God calls us to be holy, right? The word holy doesn't mean I don't do anything wrong. It means I'm set apart for God. I have been set apart for his use. Now, you can be righteous and not be holy. You can do good things and speak well and all that, but not be set apart for God. In other words, you can come to church on Sunday and read your Bible and do that, but largely live your life independently from God. I make my own decisions I do things how I want to do them. I just don't break any of the rules. Otherwise, I'm largely independent from God. I do things the way I want to do things. And God says that's worshiping vainly. It's just the commandments of men. There's no intimacy there. True holiness is when I go, God, I belong to you, and I'm set apart for you, and I want, to, I want you to be involved in all my decisions. I want to be intimate with you, and I want to be led by your spirit. You understand the difference. And so we're going to see in a little bit, uh, well, what we're seeing now uh, is that he ties this to the fear of the Lord. He says, this is the fear of the Lord is just taught by the commandments of men. This is not the fear of the Lord that I'm looking for. So this is a fear of the Lord issue. So we want to clearly understand that the problem that Israel is experiencing in Isaiah 29 is a fear of the Lord problem. They don't have the fear of the Lord. They just have the fear of breaking the rules and having some bad consequences. You understand? Okay, so fear of the Lord, very important. 
And again, going back to our definition, the fear of the Lord is saying, God, I want to do it your way. Not just I don't want to do it wrong. I want to learn your ways and do it with you and be intimate with you, right? So we're going to begin to look at the consequences of losing the fear of the Lord. They are in Isaiah 29, verses 9 through 16. So we're just going to read through those and examine. Uh, so what happens, and of course, verse 13 is in there. Uh, what happens, what are the consequences to Israel in losing the fear of the Lord? Well, let's see. It starts out, it says, pause and wonder, blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. So the first consequence is this spiritual blindness that has come upon this people. And we see that as we read through the Old Testament, Israel. Did you ever read through and go, holy cow, because we're reading it in you know, a few days, uh, hundreds of years, in a few days, and you ever go, how did they miss this? How do they do these stupid things? How do they... Yeah, well, this is how. They lose the fear of the Lord, and the next thing you know, they're becoming spiritually blind. They have diminished reasoning. Uh, things are happening that don't make sense. And you're going, why are they making these decisions? Anybody see any parallels in America? And there's a spirit of slumber on them, right? Uh, for they have poured out, uh, blind yourselves, be blind, drunk but not with wine, stagger but not with intoxicating drink. The Lord has poured on you a spirit of deep sleep. It's like, it's like uh, they're believers, but they just don't get it. And they don't see, and they don't understand. And they're just blind, and they can't even reason through. Uh, no one has met anyone like that, right? Because this just happened to Israel. Let's keep going. And then it talks in verse 10 through 12, is close your eyes, namely the prophets. He's covered your heads, namely the seers. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I can't. It's sealed. Then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I'm not literate. Now, he's talking about prophetic revelation here. And so there's this diminished prophetic revelation in Israel. There's this inability to understand what's going on in their midst. Again... How are we doing? And I'm not just talking about Church on the Rock. I'm talking about the church, the big C church. How are we doing on prophetic revelation? How are we doing on really having an understanding of the issues and the things going on in the earth? If you include the church broadly, I'd say we have some problems, right? So it, uh, it scares me how tightly this fits us. And many other nations, I think, who lose the fear of the Lord. So, let's keep reading. Uh, verse 13, we already read. So, we'll skip ahead to verse 14. Um, Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people. A marvelous work and a wonder. Now, he's going to do something where people go, holy cow, I can't believe I'm seeing that. That's a wonder. I am marveling at that. What is it? For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. 
a leadership that begins to lack wisdom and understanding. Again, and I'm not just picking on one party or another or one, I'm just, I'm going, or national or local, whatever. I'm going, there's a lot of this going on all over states, country. There's a lot of lack of wisdom and understanding to the point where people are scratching their heads going, why in the world are they making those decisions? What are they thinking? I'm marveling at decisions that my leaders are making, just like Israel did. And we see this in the history of Israel. They would make these foolish decisions uh, against the prophets. The prophets would say, look, Babylon's coming. Just go into captivity and you'll be saved. And they go, nope, we're going to we're going to just hide behind this wall until we starve. Okay. Jeremiah, when the remnant is left, Jeremiah tells him, just stay here. God will protect you. Nope. Not only are we not staying here, and he specifically says, don't go to Egypt. He says, no, we're going to go to Egypt, and we're going to take you with us. And so they take him down there, and they all perish in Egypt. They just make these decisions where people are watching them going, what are you doing? Why are you... Why are you making an alliance with a country that Babylon already kicked their butt? Why are you thinking they're going to help you? And they, they, their leaders are making these foolish decisions. It's a consequence of losing the fear of the Lord. Let's go on to verse 15. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us and who knows us? You see a growth of secret corruption and the concept that God doesn't see. God's not watching. Maybe they even use the name of the Lord and, say, and, and call themselves believers while in secret they're plotting and scheming and, and, uh, and planning corruption. Anybody see this going on? Yes. Right. So this is what happens to a nation who loses the fear of the Lord. Let's read verse, keep going, verse 16. This is a big one. Surely you have things turned around. This is God talking to them. Uh, shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? Now, uh, there's a guy who makes the clay, and then there's the clay. And what he's saying is these aren't equal. One's clay, one's a guy, right? You're esteeming them as equal. And then it gets worse. He says, for shall the thing made say to him who made it, the pot, say to the potter, he did not make me. Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. So we see in uh, when a nation loses the fear of the Lord, what happens is people begin to arrogate human wisdom above the, and human understanding above God. He didn't make us. He's not all that smart. We, get, we know how to do this. Science, science, science. Right? Are you guys seeing this? Does it make you nervous how much this describes our current situation? Right out of Isaiah? Makes me nervous. Well, uh, you want to get on to the good news real fast? All right, let's do that. The rest of the chapter is him prophesying about what's going to happen ultimately when Jesus is ruling in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, ruling the earth. But he's talking about the blessings of returning to the fear of the Lord, verses 17 through 24. So let's look at those. Let's get on with the blessings. Is it not yet a very little while till Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest? So the first blessing is just fruitfulness, prosperity. Um, 
which implies that one of the consequences of losing the fear of the Lord is maybe that nation isn't prosperous. Just saying. 18. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. So it's exactly a flip of what's going on from the fear of the Lord. Uh, from losing the fear of the Lord, there's a loss of wisdom and understanding. Now he's saying there's going to be restored understanding. People are going to get it. When the fear of the Lord comes back, people are going to understand. Isn't this amazing? Verse 19, the humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So the humble and the poor are joyful. You know what I'm guessing? Because when you lose the fear of the Lord and the nation begins to suffer the consequences, the poor and the humble are the ones who suffer the most, aren't they? And now they're happy because the fear of the Lord's back and prosperity's there. And they're rejoicing. Uh... I love 20 and 21. For the terrible one is brought to nothing. The scornful one is consumed. And all who watch for iniquity are cut off. People who are just looking for iniquity. Anybody see that? Who make a man an offender by a word. Oh, say the wrong word. I'm going to indict you. I mean, this just happened in Israel, right? This doesn't happen today. Can you be, really be indicted just for saying one word? You guys with me? Isn't this incredible? Who make a man an offender by a word and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate and turn aside the just by empty words. By empty words, the just are being turned aside. And uh, people who... Reproving the gate, or in other words, call for righteousness, uh, they lay snares for him. But what he's saying in verse 20 and 21 is, for the return of the fear of the Lord, these things end. So it's, an, uh, it's a cutting off of evil plans, of the scorner, of iniquity, of snaring the righteous in traps. Isn't that good? Okay. And uh, let's go down to verse 22. Let's read the rest of these. Verse 22, therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face grow pale. So we are living unashamed. Verse 23, when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will hallow my name and hallow the Holy One of Jacob and fear the God of Israel. This speaks of generational blessing. Uh, they're looking at their children and they're not going I'm, you know, I'm losing them to drugs and to promiscuity and to weird uh, teachings and they're going to college and coming back and telling me I'm evil and that's not happening. They're going, no, I'm looking at my children and I'm seeing them uh, generational blessings. I'm seeing them come up in the fear of the Lord and, and I'm praising God. This is what happens when a nation returns to the fear of the Lord. And then I love this last one, verse 24. Those who erred in spirit will come to understanding. Before we have spiritual blindness, spiritual dullness. Now we have understanding. And those who complained will learn doctrine. Just in case you think there might be a complaining problem. Anyone? I, Rachel, I was just complaining about the complaining problem with Rachel. Yeah, Those who complained will learn doctrine. They'll come to understanding. They'll get what's going on. Isn't this amazing? And so 
we want the fear of the Lord, the consequences of losing the fear of the Lord are significant. And my question, again, because I'm kind of looking at America through the lens of Isaiah 29, how many of you are seeing what I'm seeing? This is, this is super descriptive of our current situation. And so we want to hurry up and get to the solution, don't we? All right. So we've talked about the problem. We've talked about the consequences. We've talked about the blessings of return to the fear of the Lord. Let's talk about God's fix for the problem. I'm not sure you're going to like this, but we'll see. What we see, and this is in verses 1 through 8 at the beginning of the chapter. He starts out with what he, how he's going to fix it, and then he gets to the consequences and the blessings. So what we see first uh, in the first three verses is Jerusalem is besieged. And this probably describes when Babylon came against Jerusalem. They laid siege against them for a long time until, you know, they were having a hard time feeding people and all that. And then finally, Babylon took them and took them into captivity. Now, interestingly, you got to understand, this is incomprehensible to Israel, that Jerusalem would be lost, be besieged. This, this, they, in fact, I put some verses in, you can look them up later. In Jeremiah, they tried to kill him because he prophesied that Jerusalem would go into captivity. It was inconceivable to them that America, I mean, that Jerusalem could suffer consequences because it was God's city. You with me? And yet, he says, uh, whoa, I will distress. Ariel is the only time this is used. There's, a whole, there's something interesting about that, but I don't have time for that rabbit trail. It's referring to Jerusalem. I will distress Jerusalem in this time. In um, verse 4, he kind of describes the next period after the Babylonian captivity, he says, you'll be brought down, you'll speak out of the ground, your speech shall be low out of the dust, your voice shall be like a medium's out of the ground, your speech shall whisper out of the dust. In other words, uh, there's going to be a diminished influence and in voice. Israel had been a significant voice in the Middle East, and after this besieging and captivity in Babylon, there weren't going to be a voice anymore. There were going to be a whisper. So, there's this diminishing of voice and significance. And then finally, uh, verses 5 through 8 uh, describe nations gathering against Jerusalem. And of course, we know that's in the future in the valley of Megiddo. That's where we get the term Armageddon. Uh, the nations will gather and uh, come against Jerusalem. And it's at that time Jesus will show up and deal with the nations. And uh, they'll look on the one they pierced more from his only son. He'll come, he'll rule in Jerusalem, the fear of the Lord will return, and we'll have all those blessings coming out of Jerusalem, right? So here's what I want you to see uh, out of this whole thing. Uh, Jesus basically has a twofold, or God, all of them, has a twofold method for bringing a nation back to the fear of the Lord. One, send distress. We see that in Isaiah 29, verse 2, and again in verse 7, I will distress Jerusalem. Now, we also see that any cursory reading of the Old Testament, it's really easy to see the pattern. Uh, Israel starts out doing well. They're following God. They start to lose the fear of the Lord. What happens? Crops fail, doesn't rain, 
enemies come. He distresses them. Why? Because he's just mad and he likes to beat up Israel? No. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get them to turn back to the fear of the Lord. Now, in parallel with this distress, he sends prophets. I gave you a bunch of verses there. You can look them up. I'm not going to read them. Uh, but he constantly reminds Israel, look, I sent people to tell you what was going on. I sent Isaiah, and I gave him Isaiah 29. I sent Jeremiah, and, uh, and I told him to tell you. I sent the prophets to you to warn you. Right up until the point where you went into captivity, you could have repented. I kept sending prophets to tell you. I'm trying to get you to return to the fear of the Lord. And so this is what God does. He distresses and he sends a voice to say, come back. Come back to the fear of the Lord. It's very simple. The problem is the fear of the Lord. The solution is a return to the fear of the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to see. And this is important. And I want to make clear what I am not saying. I am not prophesying destruction to America. Okay? So don't anybody say I did. In fact, I think God's got a third great awakening for America. I really do. But I don't think it's just going to happen while we sit around and wait. I am not prophesying destruction to America. I'm not saying we can't be destroyed either. I'm not saying uh, that it's incomprehensible because Jerusalem was incomprehensible and Jerusalem got destroyed. But I'm not prophesying that. I am saying this, only, only returning to the fear of the Lord will save us. Nothing else will. I am absolutely saying that, that the solution is only returning to the fear of the Lord. It's not going to be uh, getting the right prophetic guy in charge or uh, getting the right evangelistic program or uh, getting the right people elected, uh, you know, uh, getting Nathan elected to Palm Bay City Council isn't going to save us as, yeah, as much as we love that, right? Nathan's running for, you know, Palm Bay City Council. We can't uh, relax when he gets elected because that doesn't necessarily restore the fear of the Lord to Palm Bay, does it? It'll help. And, I, you know, we want to get him elected, and we want to get people elected on the state level and on the national level, but that's not our solution. Getting the right pastor or the right prophet isn't our solution. I'm telling you guys, the only solution is for our nation to return to the fear of the Lord. It's the only solution. And the church has to go there first. And the church, Big C Church, uh, has let loose of the fear of the Lord because we see some of these consequences, don't we? So we have to go there. We have to do this. Now, I'm saying this, and I want you to understand this because I believe a lot of our current distress is not the enemy are not just evil people. I believe it's God. I believe a lot of the things that we're complaining about in America right now is God trying to shout to us, return to the fear of the Lord. I want your hearts. Return to the fear of the Lord. I want your hearts. And we want to blame having the wrong guy in office or having the, uh, the wrong you know, idea about how to do church or singing the wrong songs or whatever. And that's all smoke and mirrors, guys. And you have to understand this because the enemy uh, will want to distract you from the real solution, a return to the fear of the Lord. Put all your effort into arguing over 
who's in charge or whether or not we need to do this thing to keep ourselves safe or that thing to keep ourselves safe or whatever. All, all that fun arguments and lots of fun things to complain about. But the only thing that's going to give us the blessings of the fear of the Lord is returning to the fear of the Lord. If, in fact, you agree with me that we're seeing all the consequences of losing the fear of the Lord that Israel saw in Isaiah 29. Does this make sense? Okay, so again, it's a real simple concept, but uh, it's hard to apply consistently. And so, but we might as well nail down what the problem is and go for it instead of get stuck uh, going after smoke and mirrors and all the other stuff. Now, again, still, we still want to do those things. We still want to, you know, try to like good people and uh, stuff like that. We just have to know the solution ultimately is a return to the fear of the Lord. And so that has to be the primary thing in our hearts. We have to be first. I have to want to return to the fear of the Lord. You have to want to return to the fear of the Lord. And then we have to extend that. So let's look a little bit more, and then I'm going to finish up. In Isaiah 33, I'm going to read a couple verses out of Isaiah. Actually, one of them uh, you don't have in your notes. We will put it up. I added it. It was a late-breaking verse after the notes went to press. Uh, sometimes, you know... Anyway, that's what I did. Um, but let's look at Isaiah 33. I want you to see this, because uh, I, I titled this Treasured Fear of the Lord, and so you're probably wondering why, since I haven't mentioned treasure yet, I'm going to now. All right. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now, the his there is referring to Jesus. And actually, some translations will say, he is the strength of your times. Either way, it works. It's a reference to Jesus. But I want to work through this verse backwards. He, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Because we have to treasure the fear of the Lord. We have to not just see it as an obligation or as a necessity, but, hey, man, I want this. This is my treasure. Everything that I want comes from having the fear of the Lord. Everything I need comes from treasuring the fear of the Lord. Amen? So, what is the treasured fear of the Lord? It says here, we work our way back, that we will then experience the stability of wisdom and knowledge. How many of you could use some more stability in your life? How many of you think our nation could use some more stability? What do we need? the treasuring of the fear of the Lord. It will cause the stability of wisdom and knowledge. Remember when we looked at the seven spirits of God? Wisdom and knowledge were two of them. Remember we saw that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? Right? So when we begin to treasure the fear of the Lord, we build a stability of wisdom and knowledge. And then, see, going back to the beginning of the verse, he has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Remember when I taught about the foundation, that we saw that the foundation of the fear of the Lord, uh, what, what he built on that was justice and righteousness. We saw that in Isaiah 11, 3 and 4. You guys remember? So here we are again, that building that foundation. As we become a people that treasure the fear of the Lord, we begin to have stability 
because there's wisdom of the Lord and knowledge of the Lord. And we begin to have an abundance. Zion is filled with righteousness and justice. We begin to have an abundance of righteousness and justice because righteousness and justice are founded on the fear of the Lord. Are you with me? It's very simple to see in Scripture, just hard to get the nation to do it. Hard to get us to do it, isn't it? Hard to get me to do it. But we got to want it. And so what I'm after today is building in your hearts a desire, a treasuring of the fear of the Lord. Oh, I want to treasure that. I am beginning to see the awesome things the fear of the Lord does in the earth. I want this in my life. Now, let's talk a little bit about how we get this. Because some of it is decision, but a lot of it isn't. And here's where I'm going to add a verse that I didn't uh, show you before. Isaiah 59 um, also describes Israel's problem. And I want you to see, because we're talking about justice and righteousness, I want you to see, again, this is an example of where they've left the fear of the Lord and what happens to justice and righteousness when they've left the fear of the Lord. Uh, starting in verse 13, he says, in, transgress in transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, They've left that place of intimacy. They've left that place of the fear of the Lord. Speaking oppression, revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. So again, he's getting at heart issues, right? And he's talking about how they're saying things from their heart. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. What happened when they began to turn from the Lord? What did they lose? Justice and righteousness. Now, once again, tell me if you think this verse describes our current situation. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the streets and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And you felt like if you try and say the right thing, you're going to become a victim. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Again, I'm amazed at how clearly this describes what's going on in our nation right now. Now, but what I want to do, I want to go to the very next verse, verse 16. I'm just going to read the first half of it and look at the solution. Then the Lord sought and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no king. That there was no prophet that there was no religious leader, there was no teacher. Does it say that? What's the solution, guys? He wondered that there was no intercessor. Why? Because ultimately God has to give the fear of the Lord. You can't legislate it. You can't prophesy it and declare it. You have to cry out to God and get it from Him because it's supernatural. It's the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So I, I, just, I wish there was a way I could emphasize this verse more. I believe our nation uh, has lost the fear of the Lord, that much of what God is doing is to try and drive us back to the fear of the Lord. And the reason he uses distress to do it is because distress is the only way he can get us to pray. Because we're, frankly, uh, often too foolish to choose to do it ourselves. 
when oh, we just celebrated the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, right? Remember, for two, three months after 9-11, churches were full, people were praying, but then it went away. What if the church just decided to pray and seek the fear of the Lord? Maybe we wouldn't need the stress to cause us to pray. Maybe we could choose to pray. We could get the fear of the Lord. But either way, it doesn't matter, rest assured, either way, God will get us to pray, one way or another. Don't worry about it. Uh, he'll bring distress if you need it. Or we could just decide to. Our call. Are you with me? I just, I can't underline this enough. We have a fear of the Lord problem. It's the only solution. And the primary thing we can do is pray. And so we need to be a people that are crying out, God, give us the fear of the Lord. Return the fear of the Lord to America. Return the fear of the Lord to your church. Return the fear of the Lord to my family, to my heart. Return the fear of the Lord to us, Lord. We can't just do this on our own. We need a revelation of Jesus. We need the fear of the Lord. You with me? All right. So let's... Um, Invite the worship team up, and as we enter into worship, as we believe Psalm 22 that says Jesus inhabits our praises, as we invite him to come and be in our midst, uh, let's just in our hearts be asking him, Lord, give us the fear of the Lord. Give us, uh, give us more of you. Uh, I want to... I love reading the old stories from revival where, uh, you know, this happened in New York in the Second Great Awakening, ships coming into port, coming up the Hudson uh, because revival was going on in New York. Uh, people would just start repenting, sailors and passengers would just start repenting miles out because they were coming under this presence of the fear of the Lord. And they'd have to send a pastor out to go get them all right with God, you know, because they, they were having trouble with the ship. Uh, right? It really happened, guys. A couple hundred years ago. Mid-1800s. Really happened. Why not now? Why not here? Why not Melbourne, Palm Bay? Who wants the fear of the Lord real bad? Who treasures it? Will it become a treasure? Will it become our treasure? That's the question. Amen?